There is um, a passage that I want to share with you guys today that's kind of become a staple for my life. And uh, if you want to open your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, it's where we're going to spend some time this morning. And uh, it's probably something you heard before. If not, uh, don't read the subtitle because it's going to give away the ending. Actually, I'll just give it to you. Jesus calms the storm. So sorry I ruined the ending for you there. But this is a, a passage you probably heard before that I want to work through a little bit, and then we'll, we'll spend some time talking about it. But uh, Matthew chapter 8, let me give you some context and some background first of what's going on here. Jesus is in the middle of his ministry. He's doing his thing. He's teaching. He's preaching. He's doing miracles. He's reaching the lost. And what we see with Jesus is oftentimes after his ministry, he gets tired and wants to go get away to, to rest and recoup. So he'll go out in the desert, or he'll go out in the sea, Whatever he wants to do, we all, I, I would say getting on the water is one of my favorite places to you know recoup and, and fill back up. So he does that. Luckily for him, he's got some friends who are fishermen and have access to boats and are familiar with the water. So this time comes, they're going to head out to the Sea of Galilee with his friends. Now a little uh, context and background of the Sea of Galilee. From what I've learned and studied, there's some unique characteristics about it. Uh, first of all, that the sea is 680 feet below sea level. Uh, so it's, you know, it's not just there, it's down low. And then with that, around it, it's surrounded by mountains with valleys going through the mountains, which would create, you know, places for wind to travel through and, and everything like that. So because of those dynamics with it being so far below sea level and then you have the mountains, it, it, it wasn't weird for a storm to suddenly approach and catch everyone off guard who was on the sea. So Jesus and his friends aren't just being irresponsible here. It's not like they saw the storm coming and they're like, oh, let's go out in the lake, it'll be fun. No, this is like, it happens. It, it, it approaches and they didn't have their little smartphones to tell them like, storm's coming, beware. Um, so they're on the sea and th this type of storm on the Sea of Galilee can create waves up, of, up to 15 to 20 feet. So it's not just like it gets choppy. It is like a full-on storm here. So this happens. Verse 24, it says, Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. It's a big storm, right? But Jesus was sleeping. So I don't know how you fall asleep on a boat in the middle of a storm, but the disciples are on the boat. It's storming. They're freaking out, and they go find Jesus taking a nap, dreaming about who knows what Jesus dreams about. We don't really know. It could be sheep or carpentry. We don't know. Um, and they, they find him, and they go, He's sleeping. Jesus Christ, wake up! Mm. It's supposed to be funny because his name is... You know. um, they tell him to wake up and Jesus wakes up and, and he asks them a question with a rather obvious answer. Why are you so afraid? And I can just imagine the disciples like confused and looking around and like, are you serious right now? Like, look at the waves and the wind and... Like, we're going to die. Are you, why am I afraid? I'm going to die. And Jesus turns to the storm. He rebukes the cloud. Uh, the, I said that in the last verse. He rebukes the wind and the waves, and he calms the storm. And the disciples are amazed. They're like, who is this guy? There's a quick and easy application of this story that I think we often hear. It's not a bad one. It's just the one we tend to make because it's really easy. And that's that Jesus can do anything. He calmed the storm in their lives. 2,000 years ago, and he'll calm the storm in your life today if you want him to. And that is the truth. However, if we stop right there, 
I think we miss something much bigger going on in the story. Notice that Jesus didn't just wake up, become coherent about what's going on, and like turn to the storm and calm it. Before he did that, he turned to his disciples and he poses a question. Why are you so afraid? It's almost as if Jesus wants to prep his disciples because he knows they're going to get so caught up on the miracle he's about to perform that they miss something even greater than, than his power. And what's, what's, more power, what's greater than the power of, of Jesus? It's the love and relationship he desires with each of us. I mean, think about it. None of the miracles Jesus performed had any lasting significance except for the resurrection. He feeds the 5,000 people. The next day, they're hungry again. You know, so what? He raises Lazarus from the dead, which is incredible. A few years later, Lazarus dies again from somatic disease. None of the miracles had any lasting significance except for the resurrection. And oftentimes, we get so in awe of God's power, and we should. That's amazing. It's something supernatural. But Jesus does not want us to miss something greater than the, than the power of God, and that's the love of God. And so he poses this question to his disciples because he desires something more for them than, than for them to just be amazed by his power. He desires relationship with them. He desires um, their dependence to be on him. He wants them to come to him. He wants us to come to him when when we have a storm going in our life. And not just bail us out, but he wants us to rely upon him. He wants us, he wants to be our savior. Not just for eternal life, yes he does, but also in a relationship where whatever we're facing, we turn to him for help. So, he posed this question, why are you so afraid? And it's a question that I find myself asking myself, find me asking myself, even 2,000 years later, I might not be on the water in the middle of a storm saying, why are you so afraid? But I'm facing things every day in my life as a dad, as a husband, in my workplace where I have to repeatedly listen to this question from God, why are you so afraid? And it's something that I think we need to spend some time talking about today. It's changed the way I live. It's changed the way I pursue a relationship with Christ. And so I'd like to spend a few moments talking about this question and fear itself, um, understanding what it is and where it comes from, what the Bible has to say about it, the effects it has on us, and then what do we do with this fear as we try to enter a relationship with Christ? How does it play out in our relationship with Christ? So let's, let's do that this morning. Going back to 1992, I was six years old. My cousin, who is really old enough to be my aunt, took me to the latest box office film. Um, it's one that was so popular that even today millions of people are still watching it. Uh, a historical film, adventurous. Let's see, there's comedy, there's love, there's magic, deception. Uh, Disney's Aladdin was the movie she took me to. Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars was 70s, I think. But yep, um, Aladdin was the movie. And in this movie, as a six-year-old, there was a scene that was quite frightening to me. And uh, if you've seen the movie, you may know what I'm referring to. But if you haven't or if you've forgotten, I brought 
a picture, but before we show them, is it up there? Oh, we did show them. All right. Sorry, I couldn't prep you enough. Sorry if this scares you. This is called the Cave of Wonders. Remember what I'm talking about? It has the big glowing eyes and the deep voice. Broad. It's like a giant sand lion thing. It's like, who wants to enter? Okay, I was six years old, and it was surround sound and a big screen. I was scared. Okay, don't judge me. Um, and what I did was next was really funny, and looking back on it, at the time it wasn't, but I turned to my cousin and I said, Cousin Lori, I'm cold. Can I sit on your lap? And she was very gracious, and she let me sit on her lap until the end of the scene when I was no longer cold anymore. <laughs> but fear can make us do funny things. Even as a six-year-old, it made me fabricate this lie that I was cold because I was scared of what I was seeing on the screen. Fear can make us do really funny things. Um, and everyone's got them. My daughter, I have two, two uh, daughters, actually, two girls. Lucy's five and a half, and Ruby is two. And Lucy, my five-year-old, she... Uh, Fear will make you do funny things. I cannot tell you how many different sharks and crocodiles ha have been in her room. She's called me to come, you know, save her. So, Daddy, there's a crocodile in my room. And I'm like, Lucy, there's no crocodile in your room, I promise. And if there is, we have a huge problem. But she, you know, imagines things because fear creeps in when it's dark and she sees shadows and things like that. Fear can make us do funny things, right? Everyone's got them. And you've probably heard um, the number one fear people have is public speaking, or the most common. Number two behind it is fear of death, which the joke becomes people would rather die than get in front of a crowd and speak. Um, my list, number one, snakes. And number two, tsunamis. I have weird, bad dreams about those things, so not at the same time. It's always one or the other. Um, my sister's definitely afraid of be uh, bees. And my brother's afraid of ranch dressing, which is really weird, but he will not go to, he won't even go to Buffalo Wild Wings with me, and uh, yeah, kind of weird. But we, we've all got fears. But if we stop, we look inside and like, take a moment to look at about like, our, our inner, deeper fears, ones that might not be concrete, ones we could see, things inside of us. We find a list of things that maybe you can relate to, and I want to I put that up there. Um, and they have deeper roots. And maybe you can relate to some of these. Fear of rejection. Fear of failure. Fear of being alone or the loss of a loved one. Maybe the fear of not being good enough. Fear of getting hurt. Fear of change. Sometimes just the fear of the unknown. Fear of fill in the blank for your own life. We all have them, and they're things that can cause us to do funny things. They can, they can make us do irrational or illogical things. Fear has a way of entering in our life and impacting us. So here's two realities about fear I want to just establish before we go any further. One, fear is real, and it's present in everyone's life. And two, fear is powerful. It can cause a six-year-old to fabricate a lie in a movie. It can cause an adult to miss a, an incredible opportunity or freeze up or not let somebody into their life. Fear is not necessarily a good or a bad thing, though. It's, it's something, it, I don't know, it, it's not good or bad. For example, if you are in the woods alone and you come face-to-face -face with a bear, Fear is going to be something inside of you that 
triggers something that says, oh no, I'm in danger, there's a bear there, and if I don't do something quick, there's a good chance I'm going to get eaten here. And so a lot of us would just take off running. But for those of you who are outdoorsy, you know that one of the worst things you could do if you come face to face with a bear is to run, because that triggers instinct in the bear, and the bear chases after you because it thinks you're prey, and it wants to eat you. So fear is a great motivator, but in this case, fear is a lousy guide. So I actually like Googled, like, what do you do when you come face to face with a bear? And there's a whole list of things. And I don't want to get into it because we don't have time, but let me just say that fear of bears is number three on my list now. So uh, I will not be in the woods alone. I will be with someone who I can run faster than. So don't have to be faster than the bear, just whoever you're with. Fear is a great motivator. It's a lousy guide. And that's incredibly dangerous. It's incredibly dangerous. Let me tell you why. Uh, there's a verse that when I was in sixth grade, I, I memorized and it kind of became a staple for my life. And that's 2 Timothy 1.7. For God did not give us a spirit of fear or timidity, timidity, but a spirit of love, power, and self-discipline. And for years, I read that verse, and I always took it as, all right, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You shouldn't be afraid. You should be brave. You should be courageous. And then fast forward, middle school, high school, college, somewhere around college, I had one of those moments where, and maybe this has happened to you, you've read a verse or heard a, heard a verse many times, and then all of a sudden God reveals it to you just a little bit differently. You're like, I've never seen it that way before. That happened to me. Instead of hearing this verse and going, don't be afraid, here's what I heard. For God did not give us a spirit of fear. God did not give it to us. And I started asking myself, those times when I'm, when, I, when fear's creeping into my life, if that didn't come from God, who did that come from? Fear's a great motivator but it's a lousy guide, and that is incredibly dangerous because the enemy wants to use that against us to cause us to not do the things that God wants us to do. The enemy uses fear to, to come into our relationships, our marriages, our families, and, and cause dissension and tear apart your family, your relationship. The enemy uses fear to rip apart churches and divide churches. The enemy will, will try to scare you off from what God is calling you to do with your life. Because if he can scare you off, he's already won. Fear is a great motivator. It's a lousy guide. And it's incredibly dangerous because the enemy uses that against us. There's some uh, effects that fear has on our life that um, I want to dive into real quick. Uh, there's five of them, actually, that I want to share with you. And uh, we'll put them on the screen here. But the first one is fear chokes. Fear chokes our thinking and our actions. This is where we get the whole deer in the headlights phrase. You know, the deer's on the road and you're driving and it sees the car and the headlights and its eyes get big and it freezes, right? It doesn't run out of the way. It just goes deer in, head it's deer in the headlights and it freezes and sometimes it gets hit. Um, but here, here's what a, a quote from Charles Stanley, who's a pastor and an author. He says it, Fear creates indecisiveness that results in stagnation. I have known talented people who procrastinate indefinitely rather than risk failure. 
Lost opportunities cause erosion of confidence and the downward spiral begins. I don't know if you can relate to that. I definitely can. I feel like I have all the gifts and talents and resources that I need to, to be successful at my job or as being a dad or a husband, whatever it is. But there's times when I just tend to freeze. I don't know if it's because I get overwhelmed or I got so much on my plate. But I have to stop and ask myself, like, what's going on here? Like, what is causing you to act this way? What, what are you afraid of, Richard? And often what I find is there's usually some sort of fear that's causing me to, to procrastinate or to, to not live out what I feel like God's wanting me to do. And it's usually like, one, I feel like it's too much. Maybe I don't feel like I can get it done. Uh, maybe I don't feel like I'm going to do a good enough job and I'll fail at it. Maybe I feel like I'm going to make the wrong decision. Or I'll be rejected for it. And I have to sit down with an open journal, ask this question, and I have to write them out. And that's what helps me to deal with these fears, to get past this moment of where my thoughts and actions are, are choked or stifled. I don't know if that would help you, but that helps me. There's a verse in Matthew uh, chapter 6 that Jesus shared with us. Uh, verses 25 through 27, almost as if he knew like fear was going to play a big role in our lives. And this is what he says. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? I don't think Jesus is saying, don't prepare, don't work hard. I think what he's saying is, do those things, but don't let worry control you. Don't let fear control you. Aren't you more valuable than a bird? The obvious answer is, yes, I'm more valuable than a bird. God takes care of the birds and the creatures of the world. He'll take care of you and me as well. Let's not let worry and fear control us. Number two, fear can drive people to destructive habits. Some of these destructive habits can lead to addictions. And oftentimes what we see in addictions, um, they're usually a way to numb pain or mask some sort of insecurity, no matter what kind of addiction that might be. Uh, other, other destructive habits might be, uh, you know, maybe someone had something happen to them at a young age where they got hurt or caused them, something caused them to put up a wall and, and not let people in. And so their relationships are very shallow. Maybe that, maybe that wall prevents them from being able to grow because they can't receive feedback, whether that's constructive criticism or encouragement. It's that, the idea of letting someone close to them in might cause them to be afraid and they won't do it. It's a destructive habit. Uh, I, uh, I lead a nonprofit, a chapter of a nonprofit for the Phoenix area called Teach One to Lead One, and it's a mentoring program for kids who are at risk. So we take volunteers from the community, we take Christians from the church into public schools to mentor kids, and we teach what we call universal principles, things that are true for anyone, anywhere, anytime. They're all based on Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. We just don't reference them that way so that the schools actually like it. So instead of saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, we call it humility. Pure in heart, pure, pure in heart integrity, and so on. 
And so our, our mentors are Christians. Our principles are biblically based. We just don't reference them that way, and the schools love it. Um, there is a young girl who was in eighth grade that we mentored last year. Her name was Gigi, or is Gigi. And, um, and how our program works, it's not one-on-one mentoring. We're actually a group of adults in a classroom-type setting, and then it's very interactive, and we'll break it down to small groups. And so at the end of one of the sessions, we talk about habits. And how we help the kids is we say, there's an IRA method. You identify the bad habit, replace it with a, a healthy habit, and uh, have someone hold you accountable. And so in the small groups, we're going around the circle, and I'm trying to help these kids identify a bad habit in their life. This girl, Gigi, says her bad habit is she gets bad grades. And I say, well, that's not a bad habit. That's the result of the bad habit. So what is the bad habit that's causing you to get bad grades? She says, well, I don't turn in my homework. Okay. Wait a minute. You don't turn in your homework or you don't do your homework? She said, oh, I do my homework. I just don't turn it in. Why wouldn't you turn in your homework? And she just kind of shrugged. And I, I prayed to God in that moment. I said, God, what is going on here? Like, help me out and give me the right words to talk to this girl. And it, the thought popped in my head that she's afraid of something. And I said, Gigi, are you not turning in your homework because you're afraid of what grade you're going to get? And her eyes got real big. I said, why are you afraid of that? And, and her eyes began to well up. And she said, my parents are really, really hard on me. And I feel like they expect me to be perfect. And when I'm not, they get really mad at me and they yell at me. And for this girl, eighth grade girl, the destructive habit that came because of fear is that she won't turn in her homework because she's afraid that it's not going to be a good enough grade that her parents are going to accept her and approve of her. And, she, and she's bonded by that fear to the point where she's starting to fail her classes because she's not turning in her homework. She's doing it. She's doing the hard part. And I had a really cool conversation with her where I got to speak some truth into her life. But she would rather choose to fail than not being good enough and being rejected by her parents. Fear has a way of, of forming some destructive habits. And I think the enemy wants to use that to destroy us any way he can. Sometimes that's really obvious. Sometimes it's something much smaller that can lead to some serious repercussions. Number three, fear steals peace and creates doubt. Steals peace and creates doubt. And John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that, that they may have life and life to the full. The thief or the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is Jesus talking. He says, I've come to give life and life to the full. If you think back to the first moment where the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, clicked with you, and you gave your life to Christ, you felt an inner peace and a sense of fulfillment and forgiveness and hope that's hard to describe, but it, it's, it's unlike nothing else. But we know, and I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure we all know this, when you become a Christian and start following Christ, it doesn't mean your life becomes perfect or easy. In fact, a lot of times it becomes much harder. The enemy knows that, 
And so he tries to come and steal that joy, that peace from us. He uses fear to do that. And, and eventually he starts creating doubt within us. And so when we're faced with a trial, a storm of any kind, and it's a, I don't know, the, a, a broken relationship, or it's losing a job, it's loss of a loved one, whatever it is, those are things that create fear that the enemy wants to, to drive home in your head and in your heart because it's going to lead to doubt and it's going to steal your peace. When that happens, we start to get negative. We start to doubt. We start to doubt the second part of this verse. Man, life to the full. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Is that really, is that really true? Can I really believe that? Is this real? And maybe you've been there where you question things. That starts to that starts a downward spiral in our own lives, but then it begins to rub off on other people too, and you can see how the enemy weaves his way in to try to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I come to give life and life to the full. Number five, fear actually can harm us physically. It harms us physically. The University of Minnesota did a, a project, a research project on this, and they had some pretty interesting findings. I'm going to read it to you here real quick. They said this, living under constant threat weakens our immune system and can cause cardiovascular damage, gastrointestinal problems such as ulcers and irritable bowel syndrome, and decreased fertility. Fear can impair formation of long-term memories and cause damage to certain parts of the brain, such as the hippocampus. This can make it even more difficult to regulate fear and can leave a person anxious most of the time. To someone in chronic fear, the world looks scary and their memories confirm that. Moreover, fear can interrupt processes in our brains that allow us to regulate emotions, read nonverbal cues and other information presented to us, reflect before acting, and act ethically. This impacts our thinking and decision-making in negative ways, leaving us susceptible to intense emotions and impulse reactions. All of these effects can leave us unable to act appropriately. Other consequences of long-term fear include fatigue, clinical depression, accelerated aging, and even premature death. So whether threats to our security are real or perceived, they impact our mental and physical well-being. You see how the enemy wants to use fear to destroy us? Fear can make us do funny things. It's a great motivator, but it is a lousy guide, and the enemy uses that to destroy us, literally. Interesting thing about this, the story of Jesus calming the storm, if you look in, in Luke's account of the same, the same story, so the Gospel of Luke records the exact same story, you got the same circumstances with the disciples in the boat and the storm hits, Sea of Galilee. Only Luke writes that the question Jesus asked was slightly different. Instead of asking, why are you so afraid, Luke writes that Jesus asked, where is your faith? Where is your faith? I find that really interesting, and I think what the point Jesus was making when he asked this question isn't so much one without the other, and he's not saying, don't ever be afraid, as much as he's saying, have faith. 
in these moments when the storm's hitting your life, he's saying, look, don't you know who I am? Don't you know that, that I care about you and I, I love you? Don't you know that I'm in control here? I got this. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? And it's not so much about not being afraid as it is about having faith in the midst of the storm. Because with faith comes trust. And trust is really the key ingredient to a great relationship. And with faith comes peace, which is our security and, and our identity in Christ. With faith comes courage, which leads to action. And with faith comes freedom. And that's ultimately what life is, life to the full, that Jesus is talking about in John 10.10. 10. Fear is a great motivator, but it's a lousy guide. Let's switch that to, to fear is a great motivator, and faith is a great guide. Faith is a great guide. I'm going to close with a, a quick story of how I live this out in my life. Um, after, after I interned under Jared, actually, I uh, finished college. I became a youth pastor myself up in Washington State and um, was up there five years. While I was up there, I started volunteering for this organization, Teach One or Leave One, that I just told you about. Uh, and it became clear to me, and this is what I wanted to do, this is what I was called to do, and I was called to come back to Phoenix and start, start a chapter of it. Did not exist. There was no uh, resources waiting for me. There was no churches saying, let's do this. There was no schools saying, we have kids we want you to help us with. And there was no volunteers saying, I want to help. It was literally starting from scratch. And, but it was clear to me, one of the most clear, clear callings I've ever had in my life, that I was supposed to do this. So I start sharing with people, hey, I'm, I'm going to go do this. This is what God's calling me to do. Everyone's super supportive except for two people, my dad and my older brother. <laughs> The two people that I want in my life, you know, to approve of me and accept me, right? And my dad, when I told him, was like, where are you going to live? How are you going to get paid? You have a, a wife and a daughter. What are you going to do for insurance? Like, very legitimate questions. And my response was, I don't, I don't know, Dad. I'll figure it out when I get there. And my brother, who had just recently planted a church at the time that didn't end up making it, was like, well... Good luck with that. It is so hard starting something from scratch, and I've been there, and good luck, you know. Just super, like, real about how hard it's going to be. And uh, fast forward, both my brother and my dad are very supportive now, <laughs> and they help, they help in uh, various ways. But at the time, I was faced with this fear of, here's what God's calling me to do, and here's the reality of how hard it's going to be, and the, the two people in my life that I want probably the most approval from, my dad and my older brother, are, don't think it's a very smart idea. And looking back, it probably wasn't. But when God's got it, you know, you, you do it. You say yes and you go for it. And in that moment, four years ago, if I let fear control me, kids like Gigi wouldn't be hearing truth in their life and working through those destructive habits. If I let fear control me, I'm not sure there's any other ways in Phoenix that the church can actually go on to school campuses during school hours and bring the hope of Christ to kids. If I let fear control me, 
in the last four years, over 800 kids from 12 different schools and 14 different churches making up 80 different mentors would not have happened. And I don't tell you that to say, look at me. But I tell you that to say, look at God and what God can do. When we simply put our yes on the table and, and have faith, we can see what God does with that. Fear controlled me. Man, I, don't, I would have never gotten married and I definitely wouldn't have had kids. If fear controlled me, I, I probably would never be generous with my resources and helping people out. If fear controlled me, I'd never share my story or my testimony with people sharing the gospel. I'd never invite people to, to my church or into my home if fear controlled me. Fear controls us, the enemy already wins. This doesn't mean that I don't live without fear anymore. It just means that every day I have to wrestle with this question, why are you so afraid? And every day I have to choose faith to be my guide. And every day I have to put my yes on the table and let God use that. There's a lot in our world today to be afraid of. And I feel like every week there's some sort of disaster or shooting or something going on. Striking a lot of fear into people. And there's fear in each of our own lives. I don't know what you're facing in your in your family, in your marriage. Big decision that has to be made. What's the future going to look like? Am I, am I am I being a good enough dad or mom with my kids? You know, what, whatever it is, I know that fear is present in all of our lives. But I want to close with this verse, Psalm chapter 27, verse 1. The psalmist writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Because we have Jesus. We have faith that can carry us. Faith that can overcome fear. And that leads to life and life to the full.